stand with us and sing. Come, Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. We need your mighty presence in our lives. So we call on your name. Good morning. Welcome to worship on this beautiful Sunday morning, and it is a beautiful day today. So welcome to worship this morning. It is wonderful to see all of you here and to know that those of you who are joining with us online are here as well. So first, friends, the peace of Christ be with you all. And will you first turn around and wave good morning to our friends who are worshiping with us online. Good morning to all of you. And take a moment to welcome one another. And let us join in a moment of prayer. Holy and loving God, we thank you and we praise you for gathering us here so we can worship you this morning. Bless us with the power of your Holy Spirit as we turn our hearts and our minds towards you this morning. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. And now it's time for a children's moment, but I've got to go get something before we can have this children's moment. Hold on just one moment for me. Okay, whew, we needed this. Should we play soccer in church this morning? No, I think you're right. I think you guys are right. I do not think it would be very safe to play soccer in church. There is some breakable stuff, and we are not going to do that. But I brought a soccer ball with me this morning because my kiddos and I are going to go shopping tomorrow. And we're going to go shopping, and we're going to go buy more soccer balls, and we're going to go buy more footballs. 
And all of you, okay, you already know what we're going to do, Mr. Walter. So we, no, we're not going to pop them. We're going to blow them up because sometimes they're, they're not inflated. Sometimes you have to inflate them. We are going to go to the store and we're going to buy some hula hoops. Who likes a hula hoop? And maybe some games like bocce ball. Anybody ever play that game? Maybe some other games. We are going to go buy a whole bunch of balls and a whole bunch of fun games and things like that. And you know what we're going to do with them? Are we going to keep them? We are going to donate them. I mean, we don't call people orphans anymore because we don't have orphanages, but we are going, but you are right though. We are going to donate all of these, thanks to the Women's Fellowship, to kids that don't have homes and they don't have families and they live in foster homes. Now think about this, friends. You guys have homes to live in, don't you? And you have families that are all around you. And it's really nice to know that you, you have homes and you have families. And also, how many things do you have? How many balls do you have? I asked the kids, I said, how many soccer balls do we have in our house? We have an awful lot of soccer balls in our house. Yeah, not, not a thousand. That would be a lot of soccer balls. Uh, we have, do you have 10 soccer balls in your house? Probably. And we have footballs in our house. I, we like to sometimes play football in the backyard, just our family, but none of us actually plays football. And still we have like three footballs in our house. We have so many things. If you go into your rooms, how many toys are you going to find in your room? Like two? Are you going to find two toys in your room? Are you going to find a lot of toys in your room? Now, do you know that there are kids that don't have homes that are necessarily their own, and they, they live in foster homes, and they don't necessarily have any toys that are their own? Isn't that kind of sad? So tomorrow, since there's no school, the Duffies are going to go shopping, but we're not going to buy anything for ourselves. We're going to buy things for other kids for, as Walter keeps saying, for orphans. And the reason Walter keeps saying orphans too is because I talked to my kids in the car about this and we were talking about how Jesus tells us that we need to care for orphans and widows. We need to care for kids that don't have their own families. We need to care for kids that don't have as much as we have. We need to make sure to do our best to care and to share with them. And so that's what we're going to do. So I want you guys to think about this. Maybe tomorrow, maybe you have the day off. Do you guys have the day off tomorrow? Maybe you want to ask your parents if you could go to Five Below. Maybe you have $5 in your piggy bank. And maybe instead of buying something for yourself, maybe you go buy a soccer ball for a kid. Or maybe you go to Five Below and you go buy a football for a kid. Maybe you go to Five Below and you go buy something really cool that's not for you. It's not even for anybody that you know, but it's for a kid who would love to have a soccer ball or a football or something like that all on their own. And then when you go into that room, that's called the narthex, right before you walk into the sanctuary, there's this green and white container thing there, this green and white basket. And next Sunday, you can place those right in that basket and then they'll make their own their way to kids who need them. To, as Walter keeps saying, to orphans, to kids who are without families or homes. All right. And now, friends, does that sound like a good thing to do? Yeah? Do you guys have anything else you'd like to give to kids that don't have everything you have? Any other ideas? Well, here's a really cool idea. Next month, there's going to be different things we can buy. This month, we can go buy balls and things like that. Next month, we're going to learn something else that the kids need. Isn't it? Don't you feel really good when you give to somebody in need? I know I do. Okay, let's stand and let's say a prayer. I want to play soccer. We are not going to play soccer right now. 
All right, and let's say a prayer. Holy and loving God, we turn to you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit upon us. Bless us with your Holy Spirit so that we can help others. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. And you can go off to Sunday school. Which what grade are you? You're in seventh grade. Go, my children, with my blessing, never alone. Waking, sleeping, I am with you. You are my own. In my love's baptismal river, I have made you mine forever. Go, my children, with my blessing, you are my own. Amen. And now, friends, if you have any an announcements to make, you can come forward at this time. And Miss Gay Maltreader just gave me some announcements that I need to make for her. She goes off to Sunday school, so I'm going to make these right now. The first announcement is that anybody who wants to participate in the Women's Fellowship, that is coming up on October 16th at 11 a.m. here at Zion. The second announcement is that our birthday buddies, that's our program where we're getting gifts and things for other kids who are foster kids kids, Birthday Buddies makes up birthday boxes for children living in shelters. They just added Haven House. Both Haven House and Caroline House have new families that have nothing. Erin, who runs the Birthday Buddies, is so overwhelmed and appreciative with the generosity of our church. October's list is on the shelf in the back. It's also in your Zionite. If you did not get a copy of the Zionite, if it did not come to your email, if you would like to get it to your email, let me know. But there are copies, hard copies of the Zionite right in the back there with details about birthday buddies and with everything else, with the list of what they're looking for this month. And Gay's last announcement is a thank you for those donating shirts for my son's foster boys. If anyone has jeans to donate, they are sizes. This was a popular question this week, so we can listen up. There were our sizes 40 by 32 and 36 by 30, and they would be greatly appreciative of those. So thank you. Good morning. So I have two dates for everyone to lock into their memories, um, and they're going to be easy to remember. So it is Halloween, and it's the Saturday after Halloween, which is November 6th. Uh, November 6th will be our upcoming virtual meat raffle, um, and it will be held as a Facebook Live event. Um, I realize for those of you in the sanctuary that you may not be able to see the slide clearly, but we actually have three different packages that you can purchase for the meat raffle. And there's two different ways that you can purchase packages. You can do them online through zionuccton.com slash meat. Um, or you can purchase them um, in person from me. I'll be selling them from now until uh, the cutoff date, which is... October 31st, Halloween, um, in the sanctuary, excuse me, in Cook Hall during um, coffee hour. So the three packages that you can choose from, uh, package one allows you the opportunity to have six chances to win for every single round. Um, we increased that from last year. Last year you only had three chances to win, so it's a great package. Uh, you also have a chance to win, uh, you have three chances into the 50-50 draw, and you have a chance to win a $300 Pelicanos gift card, so not too shabby. 
Package number two, you have three chances to win for every round and one chance to win the 50-50. And then package number three, if you'd prefer just to purchase 50-50, gives you three chances for the 50-50. Um, and the prices for each package are tiered. So package one is $85, package two, $45, package three is $20. Um, but you don't have to remember all of that. Uh, we have some hot-off-the-press flyers that are in the back of the sanctuary on the shelf. Uh, you can also find the flyers online um, on our the church's Facebook page. Um, and um, if you have any questions, come and see me at Fellowship Hall, and we hope to see you all there. Thank you. And by the way, a fun little fact for you, all of our uh, information that we have, all of the signs, everything, they were made by our own Brianna, who in case you didn't know, happens to be in England right now studying for her semester abroad, and still she found time to Zoom with us, and still she found time to make flowers. Talk about dedication. Isn't that amazing? Uh, So now let us light our peace candle. Join with me in a moment of prayer. Holy and loving God, we turn to you at this moment and we pray for peace. We pray for peace that surpasses all human understanding. We pray for peace in our own lives, but Lord, we also pray for peace in the lives of others. As we think about helping foster children today, we think about peace in their lives. We pray that they can all find families where they know and where they experience peace and love. We pray, Lord, for peace on earth. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy. Tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Please join with me for the opening litany. We look at the mirror, and what do we see? We see people trying to be faithful, even as questions and struggles at our faith. We look in the mirror, and what do we see? Hearts that are open to God's love, with lives who seek to trust in God. We look in the mirror, and who do we see? Us, one who struggles with questions we raise, who models faithfulness for all who would follow. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death many times. I've wondered at 
Please be seated. We have two readings this morning. I know usually I like you only to focus on one, but this morning the two are rather quite connected, and so we are going to read from two readings. First, we are going to start with the book of Job. The book of Job you're going to find in your Old Testament, and that we are going to read from the 23rd chapter. We will read the first 11 verses. Now, if you don't know much about the book of Job, don't worry. I am going to explain it all to you in just a few minutes. So don't worry if you're new to the book of Job, if you're not sure what's going going on. I promise that I will explain it all shortly to you. And so as you find your way to the book of Job, which is a very fascinating book, as you find your way there, kind of look up once you're there. And friends, if you are ready to hear the word of the Lord, will you please say amen? Amen. Starting with verse 1, chapter 23. Then Job answered, today also my complaint is bitter. 
His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. The hymn he is talking about here, friends, is God. Oh, that I knew where I might find God, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before God and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what God would answer me and understand what God would say to me. Would God contend with me in the greatness of God's power? No, but God would give heed to me. There an upright person could reason with God, and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, God is not there. Or backward, and I cannot perceive God. On the left, God hides, and I cannot behold God. I turn to the right, but I cannot see God. But God knows the way that I take, and when God has tested me, I shall come out like gold. My foot has held fast to God's step. I have kept God's ways and have not turned aside. And now, friends, move your way towards the Gospel of Mark, where we left off last week. Make your way to the Gospel of Mark, to the 10th chapter. And we will read about the rich man, as we have him labeled here in the Gospel of Mark, starting with verse 17, and we will only read to verse 22. And now, if you are ready to hear the word of the Lord, will you please say, Amen. Amen. Starting with verse 17. As God was setting, sorry, not as God, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you own. And give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he was shocked. And he went away grieving. For he had many possessions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Step out on the water, and they say it can't be done. We'll fix our eyes on you, and we will come. Your ways are higher than our ways, and the plans that you have laid are good and true. Withdraw your hand. 
gaze into the flames and look for you. If you say go, we will go. If you say step out on the water and they say it can't be done we'll fix our eyes on you and we will come your ways are higher than our ways and the plans that you have laid are good and true to the fire you will not withdraw your hand we'll gaze into the flames and look for you if you say go we will go if you say say step out on the water and they say it can't be done we'll fix our eyes on you and we will come we'll fix our eyes on you and we And will you join with me in a moment of prayer? Holy and loving God, we turn to you this morning. And Lord, we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit upon us. Lord, bless the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our minds, so that all that we do and all that we say can be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So this doesn't happen very often, but this morning I have decided to give you two readings to meditate on because the two are more connected than you might realize at first. But I usually don't like to give you two readings because I usually want you to focus on one thing. I don't want your mind to be all over the place and then you leave here and you're like, oh darn it, what did we talk about? I don't want that to happen, so I usually want you to focus on one thing. But together with these two readings, I think it can help us to focus on something specific. And so we're going to do that this morning. But first, I understand that everybody who wasn't necessarily with us in Bible study this week might not know a lot about the book of Job. So I'm going to talk to you about the book of Job. Now, the first thing that I need to tell you is that it's pronounced Job and not Job. I always love when it comes up in Jeopardy and somehow somebody might say Job instead of Job. It just always cracks me up a little bit. But anyways, why is it called Job? Well, probably because it was written in Hebrew originally, but it's just called Job. But here's the thing that we need to understand about the book of Job. This is the most important thing that we need to understand about the book of Job. It is not a true story. Now, some of you might be like, 
oh my goodness, she did not just say that something in the Bible is not a true story. Some of you guys might be taking a deep breath and being like, no, she did not say that. It is not a true story. It's never been believed to be a true story. Not until the fundamentalist movement in the 1900s, in the early 1900s, when the fundamentalist movement started, that's when the fundamentalists started saying, well, well, everything must be completely inerrant in the Bible. Everything must be completely true, exactly as it's written. And in some ways, that was actually a really bad and dangerous thing because all the books in the Bible have a different theme and a different purpose. In the book of Job, if you look in your Bible, especially if you have something like a New Revised Standard Version, if you look in your Bible, you're going to notice that the book of Job follows under a section that's not in history. It's not in the history section because it's not a historical story. Instead, the book of Job falls under the poetry section of the Old Testament. So it's really important because what I'm going to say is going to have you with your minds a little bit blown when I tell you this story, if you don't know the story about the book of Job. So the first thing I want you to know, and those of you who are in Bible study are like, yeah, people need to know this, I'm thinking, right? Uh, You need to know it's not a true story. I'm going to tell you the story about the book of Job. Here's what happens in the book of Job. It starts with God and Satan hanging out in heaven. Now do you understand why I really wanted you to know that this is not a true story? It starts with God and Satan hanging out in heaven and talking about what's going on in earth. Apparently, according to this story, Satan goes down to the earth, checks out people on earth, goes up into heaven, and then has conversations with God. This story, by the way, was also written by the rabbis in order to teach us an important lesson, in order to talk about the important thing about why bad things happen to good people. That's kind of one of the questions they're trying to tackle here. Why do bad things happen to good people? By the way, they don't really come up with an answer as they make their way through this book, but that's what they're tackling here. So in this story, Satan and God are hanging up in heaven. Remember, not a true story. You know why I want you to see this? Because God and Satan by no means are hanging hanging out in heaven. And God says, how's my good, faithful servant Job doing to Satan? How's Job, that good and that faithful man? He's so faithful, he's so good. How's my good, faithful servant Job doing? And Satan says, well, yeah, he's being good and and he's being faithful, but he's only good and he's only faithful because nothing hard has ever happened to him in his life. So Satan says, if you want to see if Job can stay good and faithful, you got to test him. Test him and try him. So God says, okay, that's fine. Go down to earth, test my faithful servant Job, but don't harm his physical body. And so Satan goes down to earth and kills all of Job's family. Everybody except for his wife, although there's a point where maybe Job was hoping his wife was included in that. That's kind of a joke, but it, you'll understand it maybe in a second. Um, and so he, he kills all, all of Job's family, everybody, all of his servants, all of his animals. Job is a wealthy man. He has lots of things, kills absolutely everything. And of course, Job is devastated. There's only enough servants alive to come and to tell Job what has happened. Job is devastated, but he still refuses to curse God. And so then Satan goes back up to heaven and tells God, well, well, you know, Job stayed faithful to you, but he only stayed faithful because you didn't physically hurt him. If you let me inflict pain on Job, then he'll turn around and he'll curse you. And so God says, okay, fine, go down to heaven and you can, you can hurt Job. And so Satan goes back down to heaven and covers Job's body in these terrible, painful sores, these, these terrible lesions all over his body that hurt and that itch and they're terrible. And so Job just goes down and, and he sits in the dirt and he covers his body in his dirt and, he, and he's just sitting there in excruciating pain. 
And here's why I made that little joke about how he may have wished that his wife was included in that first round. Because then his wife comes over to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Not very productive, but that's what she said. But Job says to his wife, he says, why would I do that? Like, am I not to expect both the good from God and the bad from God? So Job doesn't curse God, but instead Job sits there in the dirt in excruciating pain, and he still stays faithful. He's getting angry, but he still stays faithful. And then three of Job's friends show up, and these three friends of Job show up, and at first they are really good friends. The first thing that they do when they show up is they come and they sit there with Job. This is actually my favorite part about the book of Job. These three friends come and they just sit with Job. They just sit there and they're present with him for seven days. I love that part. That is something that I think we can all learn from. Sometimes you just got to go and sit with people who are in pain. So these three friends, they come and they sit with Job for seven days. But then after seven days are up, they start to lecture Job. (laughs) They only stay good like that for a little while. Then they get up and they say, you know what, Job? You probably did something wrong. God wouldn't curse you if you didn't do something wrong, is what they're saying. And so they're, they're like, you know, you must have done something wrong. What you need to do is repent. And then we find ourselves in the 23rd chapter, which is what we just read. And Job responds to his friends and he, say, I'm, he says, I'm not going to repent. He's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I stayed faithful my entire life. I'm not going to repent. I didn't do a single thing wrong. I'm not going to confess sins when I didn't sin at all. He's like, I'm not going to repent. He's like, I did everything just right. And then this is where Job's arrogance shines. So then what Job does is he says, I want a trial with God. He says, I want to call God into a trial. I want a court trial with God where then I can plead my case and God can see that I'm right and I will be made as pure as gold. And that's where Job's arrogance starts to shine through because Job has an identity as a righteous man. He spent his whole entire life being a righteous man and he refused to repent, refuses to repent because he says, I'm a righteous man. I've done nothing wrong. His identity that everybody knows about Job is that he is a righteous man. So when his friends tell him to repent, he says, no way, no how, I did absolutely nothing wrong. Well, then I'm going to tell you how the story ends, even though that's not part of what we're talking about today. But my guess is some of you guys might want to know how the story ends. Yeah, just a couple nods. You might want to know. I mean, you could go read. It's only 42 chapters long. That won't take you too long. So what happens at the end of the book of Job is finally God actually appears. And God appears. And God talks to Job. And you know what God says to Job? God says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, you mere mortal? Who do you think you are? He's like, I'm the creator of the heavens and the earth. Who do you think you are, Job, to question me? However, then God also gets mad at Job's friends because he's like, you guys didn't really know everything that you were talking about. But then God sees that, you know, Job and Job in the end, he finally repents when he's face to face with God where he's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know what I was talking about. Finally, Job repents. Finally, finally, Job is is ashamed by his arrogance that he had there. He's ashamed by the fact that he was uh, not willing to give up his identity as as a righteous person and repent. And so in the end, Job does repent, and then God restores everything of Job's. God gives Job a whole new family, which we were joking about in Bible study, because usually you don't just want your whole family replaced. You know, usually you miss the old ones. But God gives him a whole new family, even more wealth and even more things and all this wonderful stuff. And then 
they all live happily ever after. Remember, not a true story, story written by the rabbis, like the parables that Jesus told. But what I want you to pay attention to when we think about Job, Job was a righteous man. That was his identity. And in the 23rd chapter that we just read from, we have this righteous man who refuses to give up his identity. He refuses to repent because he refuses to be seen as anything but what? righteous as anything but righteous. Now we got to pay attention to our second story. We got some Bible study going on here today. You guys are going to learn some things today, and and I promise it'll all be okay in the end. Your brains will, will be very happy with you in the end. So the second reading that we have comes from the Gospel of Mark. I only gave you a part of this because I only want you to pay attention to this one part of this 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And in this 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we find ourselves a true story. This is not a parable. Jesus often speaks in parables. This is not a parable. This is a true story and a true interaction. And what happens in this true interaction is that a man comes up to Jesus and sees Jesus and finds Jesus and looks at Jesus. And this man comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to have eternal life? Now, again, there's something else I need to teach you. I got to teach you a lot here today. There's a lot going on. Eternal life to this man did not mean necessarily what eternal life means to us today. When we think about eternal life, what do we think about? Heaven. Exactly. When we think about eternal life, we think not just here on this earth, but we think about life in heaven. But it's really interesting what this man would have thought about when he thought about eternal life is he would have thought about the kingdom that God was going to create. Because when he looked at Jesus, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, which is important. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but he thought that the Messiah was going to rule here on earth. He thought that Jesus was going to become the new king and that God was going to create a new kingdom and then this new kingdom would this be this new kind of life and Jesus would rule as king. That's what this rich man very likely thought about when he said eternal life. So he's basically saying, what do I need to do, Jesus, to get into your kingdom? Here's the thing. This is a rich man. His identity is that of a rich man. Job's identity was that of a righteous man. This man's identity is that of a rich man. By the way, who can tell me his name? Nobody. Why? Because Mark doesn't even tell us what does Mark call him. He calls him the man, and he says that this man is rich. All that we know about this man is that he's a rich man. We don't even know his name because his identity is that of a rich man. So this rich man looks at Jesus, and he's basically saying, what do I need to do to get a good spot in your kingdom, in this kingdom to come? And he's a rich man. He's always gotten everything that he wanted. He wanted something before he could buy it. He wanted something before, and it was his. He he, he followed all the laws. He was good. Everything was great. Somebody's calling me right now. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, everything was good. Everything was great. And so then this, the, this rich man looks at Jesus and he's like, well, what do I need to do to have a spot in your kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and Jesus challenges his identity. A lot of times we read this and all we pay attention to is the, is the wealth part. But I'm telling you, this, in this interaction, Jesus challenged his identity because what was his identity? It was that of a rich man. His identity was that of a rich man. And so Jesus challenged his identity. He says, if you want a spot in my kingdom, go sell all that you have and follow me. By the way, that was something that a lot of people did. A lot of the disciples gave up their identities, all of them. The fishermen, 
The tax collectors, all of them, they gave up their identities in order to follow Jesus. One of my favorite things that happens, one of my favorite people is this woman, Joanna. She was married to a man who worked for a King Herod, you know, that bad King Herod. And she was wealthy because her husband worked for a King Herod. And you know what she did with all of her wealth? She used it to support Jesus' ministry. She was one of Jesus' followers, and she went out, and she paid for all the things to support Jesus' ministry. A lot of people gave up their identities and gave up their wealth in order to follow Jesus. But this rich man, he couldn't do it because then he was thinking, if he gave up everything that he had, if he gave up all of his wealth, then what would happen in the kingdom to come? Maybe it was his biggest fear. Maybe when he got into the kingdom of come to come, maybe he would be poor. And that wasn't something he was willing to do. He couldn't give up his identity as a rich man. He couldn't spend eternity or however long it would be in the kingdom to come as a poor man. So what did he do? He walked away sad, conflicted. He walked away because he wasn't willing to give up his identity. Now think about our identities. How do we identify ourselves? What's our identities? I'm going to say, if I gave you a couple minutes to sit here and think, I think you could come up with a couple, a couple things that are part of your core identity. I wonder what we would do if we were face to face with Jesus and asked to give up our identity, to give up who we are, in order to follow him, would we be willing to do it? I'm going to tell you one more story. we got a, a few more minutes for me to talk. Well, I'm going to give you one more story. So this last story I'm going to tell you uh, is about Prince Harry, who, you know, Harry and Meghan, who, who follows that drama a little bit. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't really follow it too much, but I am going to tell you that I'm the same age as Prince Harry. And some of you ladies who are the same age as me probably grew up with the same thoughts as I did. I grew up really dreaming that I was going to marry either Prince William or Prince Harry. Anybody else like that? Am I alone? No, a couple. I saw one hand in the back there. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I grew up just, I, I mean, I wanted to marry Prince William. That was my, he was the older one. So I wanted to marry Prince William. But, of course, a lot of girls my age, we grew up thinking about Prince Harry and Prince William, and we wanted to, uh, to marry them, because who doesn't want to grow up and marry a prince, you know? But his identity, both uh, Prince Harry and Prince William, their identities were that of princes. They, they've been princes their whole entire lives. They are a part of the royal family, and I know that's really important in, in the UK there. They were a part of the royal family, and they were princes. And then I did not follow this drama very closely, but I followed it just a little bit to know what was going on. But what I thought, what I, from what I understand, is that Harry got married to an American. You gotta love this, an American to stir up some drama. He got married to an American, to Megan, and when he got married to Megan, apparently things weren't very good for her. And he had his identity as a prince. And yet when things were not good for Megan, when she was not healthy psychologically because of living in, in that royal life, when everything wasn't good for her, do you realize what he chose to do? He chose to, gave, to give up his identity in order to move to the United States 
and have a family that, and a life that was better for his family in order to care for his wife and his children, very much like something I feel like Princess Diana would do. He chose to give up his identity in order to provide for his family. So I want Harry to be our good example here. Sometimes we need to give up our identities for the better good of something else. So what I want us to think about today, just imagine that we're face-to-face with Jesus and we have some sort of identity crisis. Is there a part of our identity that we feel like Jesus would want us to give up? Is there a part of our identity that Jesus would look at and he would say, why don't you follow me and leave that thing that's holding you back behind? Is there a part of our identity that holds us back from fully following Jesus. And I could give you some examples, but the truth is all of our identities are different. All of us are completely different individuals. So I need you guys to think about this on your own this week, okay? Think about this on your own. Is there a part of our identities that are holding us back from following Jesus? Is there a part of our identity that we can't let go of, like Job and his righteousness, like the rich man and his wealth? Is there a part of our identity that we are so scared to let go of, but if we let go of that part of our identity, maybe, just maybe, we would be better followers of Jesus? I don't have any answers for you, but I want you to think about it this week. Think about it. Report back. You know I love when you do that. Think about it. Text me. Email me. I love it. Is there some part of our identity that's holding us back from following Jesus? I'll let you think about it on your own. And let's join in a moment of prayer. Holy and loving God, we turn to you knowing that sometimes there's things on this earth that we love more than you. Sometimes there are things on this earth that we hold on to more than we hold on to you. Lord, if something is holding us back from truly following you, if something is holding us back, just please help us to let it go. No part, uh, no wealth, no righteousness, nothing is more important than following you. Help us, Lord to find out how we can follow you more closely. Help us, Lord, to find out how we can care for those who you care for more closely. Help us, Lord, to find out how we can use our wealth to help you and to help your beloved children. Help us, Lord, to find new ways to follow you and to let go of that which holds us back. And Lord, we pray this and every prayer through Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us worship God with our morning tithes and offerings.
pray. Gracious God, may this act of giving transform our hearts and our minds. May you bless these gifts and use them to do your will. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Flowers of the field are crying to be heard. Trees of the forest are singing. And all of the mountains with one voice Joining in the chorus of this world Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth A joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Flowers of the field are crying to be heard. The trees of the forest are singing. All of the mountains with one voice, joining in the chorus of this world. to the lake, bare feet on beaches white, standing in the canyon, painted hills around, the wind against my skin, every ocean, every sea, every river, every stream, every mountain, every tree, every blade of grass will sing, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And I will not be silent, and I will not be quiet anymore. And I will not be silent, no, and I will not be quiet anymore. Running through the forest. Dive into the lake, 
Bare feet on beaches white, standing in the canyon, painted hills around. The wind against my skin, every ocean, every sea, every river, every stream, every mountain, every tree, every blade of grass will sing. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the Now go forth with the blessing of God. Go forth with the love of Christ. Go forth and follow Jesus and be a blessing to all.